It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Hello, welcome to the Climate Blue Podcast. My name is Dan Rowlands and I'm joined here this afternoon by John Townley to look back at Brighton and we'll look ahead a little bit to Zwinski Mostar on Thursday this this week as well. Um, John, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks, Dan. Brilliant win on Saturday and two games coming up, which I think we can win as well and then we'll be in a really good place for the international break. So yeah, I'm, I'm doing well, thank you. Are you okay? Yeah, really good. We've uh, just about recovered from from Saturday's thriller at, at Villa Park, haven't we? Me and Matt did the post-match show together um, for the first time this season and for the first time in a long time, just because our, our schedules align that way. But it's nice to have a conversation with somebody for a podcast sat together in the same room. It's a lot more natural than doing it like this. But as we said in that video, don't expect this to be the norm. It took me about three hours to upload it the other night, which is ridiculous, really, when you consider you do it live and it's just gone and out there. Uh, but yeah, a really, really brilliant win. And we'll talk through little bits around that game this afternoon as well. What was your just general reaction to that? I mean, we, we, the most ardent Villa fan might have predicted a win and, and thought we'd go toe-to-toe with Brighton, but no one's out there calling 6-1, are they? No, I'm still a little bit shocked of the manner of the result. I you know, certainly thought we could win the game. I think I'd put a two-all draw, but that was mainly because it could it kind of, you know, I don't know, it could have gone either way, really. I knew there was going to be goals, but I was, you know, wanted to sit on the fence, I suppose. Actually, you're um, wrong, mate. I've just checked the predictions at Excel sheet. I've got, you said 3-1. Did I? <laughs> so, not, not bad, actually. Yeah, a fantastic win is a singular kind of, you know, three points, should we say. Um but to win 6-1 and kind of make that statement, blow Brighton away uh, and play a different style as well. We went more direct. We played to our strengths. That's what yeah. um, John McGinn said after the game. And yeah, that's, that's what you're going to get with Unai Emery, who has a vast experience of um, winning football matches and being successful as a football manager. And Roberto De Zerbi is a top manager in his in his own, his own right. But they have kind of, I'd say, one way of playing Brighton. Um, whereas we've shown that we can play different ways. We can go yeah, direct. Yeah. We can play like Brighton like to as well at times. But against um, against them on Saturday, we knew exactly how they would play and we knew exactly how to um, to beat them. And we did it in emphatic fashion. Yeah, we'll talk about that tactical flexibility in a sec. Um, I was up early this morning with a baby and as it was on proper telly, let's say, this week on TNT Sports, I actually watched the game back first thing this morning, the whole game, about... 7am or whatever it was. Um, do you do you often do that? And I'll open this comment to yeah. this question to the comments as well. It's a strange thing to watch the game back when you know the result. 
It's different. Like, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm, match of the day is different, isn't it? Because you're only really watching the goals. To yeah. watch the full 90, there's no like jeopardy of well, what's going to happen because I know the result, I know we've won, I know we've battered them. So you watch it with a, a different outlook. It's it's quite strange. Yeah, I don't tend to watch games back just because it's it's like obviously quite a lot of time. I'd like to watch it back if I had access to like Wise Scout or whatever and yeah. kind of speed it up maybe. That would be a way mm. of doing it. I know John McKenzie, we have on the podcast, he watches loads of games in a oh, week. Did you see his tweet the, the other day? Like he watched yeah, like 40 games or something in a week. He's brilliant. Like, honestly, the only game that I've watched back that I know the result of from a Villa game would have been back in like 20, was it like 2012 or something when we beat Liverpool 3-1, you know, in the green kit. But no, I don't watch games back. I wish I had the time to do it. Um, and you probably learn a lot from it as well, to be fair. It's, so, a, it's um, a different thing as well. Obviously, you know, if it's an away game and it's on TV, I wouldn't have watched it back because my first instance of watching it would have been on the TV. But because I was there on Saturday, you watch yeah. it very differently in the stadium with the viewpoint you've got without replays, etc jump on a podcast with Matt straight away, watch Match of the Day, had a whole day obviously yesterday, Sunday, with, with nothing, and I watched it back again this morning. And yeah, it's just a strange thing to do when you have when you know the result because you're watching it from a different aspect. It's not, without, you're not focusing yeah. on the ball all the time. You're looking at, oh, Kamara's doing something interesting there yeah. or Matty Cash versus Matoma. That's, that's an interesting battle. Things that you kind of take for granted when you're there. And without any emotion as well, you're not watching it. yeah. Kind of just hoping the ball goes in the net. You kind of you are working out little patterns and stuff. So yeah, definitely something I'd like to do, but kind of got no time to do it really. I mean, you have time because your baby wakes you up at four a.m. or something. So uh, <laughs> I don't I've wish that on myself. To be fair, <laughs> I've kind of set myself up here for this being like this really super insightful tactical analytical podcast. <laughs> yeah. now, probably we're waiting. <laughs> we're <all> waiting. <laughs> Let's take Ollie Watkins as red. Then this is what we did on Saturday. Me and Matt. He's man of the match, isn't he? He scored a hat trick. He's got an assist as well. And I thought, as I said on Saturday, his all round game was very good. He's that focal point of, of Villa and dragging the the attack forward and whatnot. Take him as red as man of the match. Who'd, who kind of stood out besides him for you? I think considering the game plan that we had, which was to um, you know go more direct, stop stop Brighton's patterns of play, I think Kamara was key to that. And mm. especially in the first half, he was excellent. Matty Cash obviously had a big job against Matoma and Matoma will always beat his fullback a few times in a game because he's that good. Yeah. Um, but on the whole, Cash dealt with him really well. There was a moment in the second half, I believe, when uh, Matoma goes down the left. Villa were, I think, 4-1 up at the time, or maybe even 5. Um, Cash puts in a big tackle and kind of celebrates it like a goal, which was great in front of the uh, the lower trinity towards mm-hmm. the north stand. So, yeah, I think those two players were very good. Douglas Louise is <laughs> just top draw in general. So he's becoming a player now where um, you don't, say it every game that oh Louise is playing well maybe last yeah, year we yeah. did uh, but he's he's taken his game to another level and he's up there with midfielders in the Premier League for me at the moment yeah absolutely agree and he got a yellow card early as well didn't he and he dealt with that challenge and he's on four yellow cards now which is, uh, crops up a talking point that we'll get is to he? later yeah yeah we'll get to oh. that in a bit though. oh mate that's really deflating <laughs> on Kamara you're right that he's, he's certainly back to his best now isn't he, he played very well last week as, as well I thought in the first half he's kind of tracking Ferguson isn't he? he's like the man marker he's shutting down any opportunity for him to, to receive the ball and, and deal any kind of damage I think it was interesting the way Villa almost not played too bright in size, so I don't want to put it down to that. But obviously, we're three 0 up at half time, and the game isn't won. But you know, we're in a comfortable position. Then Deserby makes a triple change of I think it's Ansu Fati, Jao Pedro, and Lamptey come on. I think at half time, yeah. So changing a stupid and at left back and the, the, the whole forward line, and Ferguson goes off. There's a start period where it's kind of like Kamara. I felt like Kamara was like. 
who do I deal with now that, that Ferguson's gone off? But mm. I thought it was interesting. And my point here again, and don't want to make it sound like I've come this uh, analytical head just because I've watched the game back once. But I felt like it's interesting that we adapted to playing two styles that Brighton played. Yes, they still want to build from the back and all, everything that comes with that. But the, yeah. the way they've changed the forward line poses a totally different challenge for Conza and Torres to have two pacey forwards to deal with there. And again, I thought we adapted to that well and kind of beat two Brighton sides, for want of a better phrase. Yeah, well, when the team sheet came out, I looked at their bench. I wasn't kind of comparing it to ours, but I looked at their bench and I thought, well, they have a lot of kind of game changes there. As you say, Pedro, Fatty, they had Dahoud on the bench and mm. another couple of players, I think, as well. Like Even Van Heck, who's a centre-back, but I think he's excellent. Um, I was a bit surprised to see him start that Hinshelwood guy, I think that's how you say it. It's it's 18, 18. Yeah. yeah, and he's clearly, you know, a good player. But I think maybe the wrong game to bring him into at Villa Park against John McGinn and other players who were very physical. But what you were saying there, Dan, I was I was worried actually at the start of the second half when Villa uh, came out because they came out very slow and mm. Brighton had those challenges and you just felt well, if Brighton get one goal, Villa on the you know, could be on the back foot for half an hour here against a Brighton team that will, you know, pass you to death and will make chances. So I and think could that score one, three goals in the second half themselves. Yeah, yeah. And actually, I thought up until Watkins scored Villa's fourth, we were very much on the back foot. And if Agreed, Brighton yeah. got another, which absolutely was a possibility, you're going into the final 20 minutes or something, you know, with only one goal uh, to show for what was a brilliant first half. So um, one negative, I suppose you could say, out of that game, if you can pick out a negative, that we were on a back foot in the second half and we did start slowly and that could have cost us if Watkins didn't get his goal and it was a deflection um, not to kind of take anything away but we kind of um, we were fully deserved of the win the 6-1 I will say that I'm not sure if Zaniola was offside for the first goal and I do think it was probably a foul on Solly March I think that's probably one that would be given potentially for a, for the home team if you know I don't know uh, Danny Welbeck fouled one of our players and they scored from it because he does kind of go down on him and you're on about Louise yeah, sorry, Louise. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Louise on March for our second goal, I believe. But um, yes, we deserve to win the game. Six one, I think maybe was kind of we were very clinical, put it that way. And I think there was maybe a couple of decisions, but um, we were excellent and we fully deserved it. It was just at the first, the start of the first, start of the second half. Sorry, we were we we came up slowly and maybe we, we were kind of rocked maybe by uh, Deserby's changes and couple of things in the first sorry the second half keeps in the first half Brighton were never going to be as poor as they were in the first half in the second year then I was wary that if we conceded an early goal in the second half what you said there would go yeah. on to be true that they kind of play us to death maybe get a second and then it's a ropey Villa Park Brighton are capable of, of doing what we did to them to other sides as well and once they're already 3-0 down at half time I'm not saying they're going to come back and win 4-3 but it's not beyond the realms of possibility that that Brighton side does something like that. There was a, a guy near us that was saying, we just need to get a full hold of the game here and keep the ball for five minutes yeah. and kind of kill it. And then Watkins scores. It's like, okay, 4-1, that should be enough. And then Villa obviously get the, the two later on in the game as well. But overall, a kind of fascinating matchup between two two very, very good sides who expect to be up there towards the end of the season. And we were saying in the preview show that we were doing that we'd be kind of semi-happy with a, a draw against a, a good Brighton side. And you made the point of, well, if we're both competing for the top six, we're playing them at home. They're a direct competitor. Like you have to kind of beat them, really. So to do it in the manner that we did, it's a massive tick in the box, statement. isn't it, for, for the early season you know, statement? Yeah, and I mean, Newcastle, we were beaten, well beaten by in the opening day of the season. But there was a lot of factors to why we lost that game so heavily. Uh, and we don't think we actually deserve to. But then 
Brighton thrash Newcastle at home, you know, not by a huge scoreline, but they outplayed them completely. And then we outplay Brighton. So it's between those three teams who are all going for the same places. Uh, it's a w- very weird dynamic. Um, yeah. Obviously, we now go to Brighton and we have a very good record at uh, the Amex. And then we play Newcastle at home and we beat Newcastle well uh, last season at home. So, yeah, more weird games um, I'm expecting in the coming weeks. But it's nice to beat a direct competitor because... At the start of the season, I, I keep saying it, but we've had games against teams that I think we should be, apart from your Newcastles and Liverpool, Newcastle and Liverpool away games. You, anyone can lose there, but to beat Brighton and to win against Chelsea away, that's the kind of marker now that I needed for Villa. The kind of, yeah. um, you know, oh, well, Villa will be up there again this season, judging off the start that we've had in the league. But I do have questions about whether we can kind of juggle both Conference League and, and the league just based on, I know it's only the first game, but then the Carabao Cup one really kind of uh, shocked me a little uh, a little bit in terms of how we rotated and then the kind of drop-off in performance. But we'll go on to that later. Yeah, I still don't think we're getting the, the huge recognition. Oh, we're not. <laughs> we're absolutely from, not. From either pundits or... or, or <laughs> no, no way. Language. No, it doesn't really bother me, to, to be honest. I'd rather... No, it is kind of, It's strange, though, because like, Brighton... Are, like, I saw someone say, like, Brighton are like, the media darlings, aren't they? The, the trendy hipster club, Deserby, playing the way they do, blah, blah, blah. It's like, well, over the course of... What, when Deserby's been there and Emery's been there, I think Emery's got a better record anyway. And maybe... I don't know. I think Emery's just got this reputation of being a negative manager or whatever, which just isn't true if you, if you watch Villa every week. Yeah, I was, as I said, I was watching it back this morning. There was a moment where... I, I don't know what... I don't know why it was being mentioned. Because like I said, I'm only like half watching. I've got a baby to deal with as well, by the way. It's not like I just get up and like, you sit there and I'll watch the Villa for 90 minutes. But I think, we're, I think Villa were four and up. And Dan Fletcher and whoever the co-commentator was were talking about like an exciting Brighton and being like, oh, they scored loads of goals. And like, if you want to watch an entertaining game, you watch Brighton. It's like, hang on a minute, we're 4-1 up against this soldier you're <laughs> raving about. Uh, yeah. It's absolutely bizarre, really. But, you know, we're, what, fifth now, I think, in the league after after the results from the weekend. Yeah. We were third, obviously, at full yeah. time. Had a brilliant start to the season now. Five wins out of seven in the league. I think the only thing we're missing from like getting some kind of national recognition is beating... Kind of like a title challenger. I'm not sure, mate. <laughs> I don't. I, I don't know. I, I beating Brighton six one is crazy. We've won ten matches at home. I think it's one of those where, like, ultimately we don't care, but we still talk about it because it is a bit. I don't know. I was listening to a. You know, we don't have to name the organisations because ultimately it's you know it's kind of a. Um, Got name say, and I'll but, beat it out and I'll create more <laughs> intrigue. <laughs> Um, but I was listening to like a show whatever and they were kind of going on the main talking points and by the way there's loads of talking points from the weekend obviously Wolves beating City uh, the Mm. VAR trouble across the league but also in the Tottenham game and then they try to focus on West Ham and I don't even know what West Ham did at the weekend I can't remember they beat they beat Sheffield United 2-0 at home and they didn't talk about Villa thrashing Brighton who were one of the best teams in the division 6-1 it just strange I don't know and maybe there's more in it of the uh, I don't know uh, the don't yield fan call-ins from Villa fans or something on their stations I have no idea how's it talks <laughs> I'm not, not, not there's a lot of phoning shows um, I actually can't remember if it's talks sport or the other one uh, but yeah it is a bit strange I don't know um, weird because we score a lot of goals we are very entertaining we you know we've got a big backing at Villa Park like every game this season, even if we lose games, it's an entertaining game in that we've conceded a fair few. So Villa should be like 
you know, the main, the main, the main thing to me is that no one apart from Man City has got more points than us since the turn of the year. Like, yeah. we're pretty good. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, we deserve more recognition, but um, it's not something that the club will really care about, I don't think. And it's not no. something that we should care about. It's just you'd like to have more praise. And what's what's kind of like a whole like a meta point in this whole discussion is that this is why this uh, a massive choice of Villa podcasts that all do very well. Because if you want to go and listen to some analysis or some yeah, you, thoughts even on Villa versus Brighton, you're not going to find much of that on, on the national channels. So that's why there's so many Villa podcasts doing well. Because if you want that content, you go to YouTube or you go to Spotify or wherever and you listen to Villa fans talking about it because you, you won't get it anywhere else. Maybe it will take for Gareth Southgate to call it Watkins Ramsey concert for them to actually kind of get some sort of recognition. But well, it's that probably won't happen, will it? <laughs> um, <laughs> let's talk about Watkins then, as you brought him up. I'll start with some quotes from him post-match. He says, I feel like since the manager has come in, I've come into my own. When I get on a goal-scoring run, I feel like there was no stopping me. I'm just getting warmed up now. There are plenty more goals to come this season. I think I've learned a lot in a short space of time. My movement, my mentality, being patient. As a striker, the best example is Haaland. He doesn't touch the ball for 20 minutes and then scores. It's learning little things like that. There was a coach I worked with closely, Rodri. I work with him every day, extras out on the training field. Sometimes we don't even do finishing practice. We may just watch videos and analysis. He is the key for me. He has helped me so much. Credit to him because he helps me so much. Um, and we've spoken a lot about Watkins this season for various reasons. And we said, didn't we, before the Chelsea game, if he doesn't score this week, I ain't talking about him anymore. And since then, scored four goals in the league uh, and we're now talking about Watkins in a positive fashion which is what we want to be doing what did you make of him besides the goals I thought he played well oh he was excellent yeah I thought it was top draw take away the goals and I always say this about Watkins that he doesn't have to score goals to impact the game and I'm not going to go on a five minute kind of rant about it again but he just gives so much on and off the ball we score a lot of goals when Watkins doesn't score himself he plays a part in that he doesn't just stand there although he said in his quotes there that he's kind of he's trying to play his game more about being less involved and kind of having the finishing touch and that's what we saw in the first goal and the second goal was brilliant as well because he cuts inside which we we see a lot but he's got a lot to do um to beat still finds the near post uh, with the plum so yeah he could have scored four in the end couldn't he but again Every striker is going to miss chances. He's there for the opportunity. And because he's there, Villa still score the goal anyway. Yeah, Emery said to him when he's not, or Emery says to him when he's not scoring that, like, it's okay because you're going to get chances. And when you get chances, you're going to score goals. Not every time. He said that he missed a couple of chances at Burnley, but it's not a big issue because it's always an issue when the strikers don't get the chances or it's. You know, that's when it becomes an issue or when you're not scoring for 20 games or something like uh, Malpay or whatever. But Watkins is going to get double figures again. I still think he'll get at least uh, 15 goals. I said he'll get 20 and I think he probably could do get uh, near that this season. He's got seven goals in all competitions, I think, already. Mm-hmm. Granted, three were against Hibernian, but he said uh, to the press after that it's kind of shut a lot of people up <laughs> that he's now got one against Brighton as well. Like it's not just doing it against Hibs. Um 
Yeah, he's a top player. I thought his all-round game was excellent as well. He occupied the centre-backs. His hold-up play was brilliant. He's just always a threat. And yeah, I just... And even even just taking yeah. away his, his attacking contributions to, you know, creating space for the players or uh, uh, making triangle passes or whatever it is, the key before there was even a goal in that match is the press. And we spoke about Villa having to play a higher line and how to play a proper pressing game. Watkins is excellent at that and so was Diaby as well, by the way, against Brighton. Him and Watkins were key to making the game yeah. pan out in the way that it did before they were even, we were even talking about an attacking contribution or a, a, a specifically a goal. That kind of off-the-ball off the play and the kind of intelligence that they've got, um, include Diaby and that, who's also proven to be very good at it so far. Like I said, that creates the, the way the game unfolds anyway. I know he has to get a lot of chances to, chances to score, but chance creation isn't really a problem for Villa. So if Watkins is in the right positions and Villa make chances, he will score on average a goal every couple of games, won't he? So, and we've said before, that's pretty much a standard for what we expect from, from Watkins. So I think you're looking at 20 goals, all competitions fairly comfortably if Villa oh, yeah. go far in the Conference League and you know get past the third round of the FA Cup. 15 in the league would be, again, another brilliant achievement. So, yeah, all, all, all the best to Ollie Watkins, I think. Yeah, exactly that. And he's a player that needs support, um, as in literally on the pitch, players around him, because he's so good at linking play. Uh, when we had Gerard in charge, sorry to bring it back to this, was when we had Gerard in charge and the former Rangers manager, Michael Beal, we had like Coutinho and Bailey as like a tens or Buendiris, I can't quite remember mm. actually. Uh, but it was Watkins kind of isolated on his own. Yeah. That was never going to bring the best out of him, but now he has. Well, he's got a left back bombing on down the side. He's got John McGinn. He's got Douglas Louise moving up. He's got DRB Ramsey. Like, there's so much around him uh, to make opportunities, and he doesn't have to have a touch in those moves. By the way, it's as you say, he brings, he drags defenders away because he's the number nine, and that's where um, defenders will be attracted. Mm. Too, uh, and it showed for the first goal because he was just in the right place. And Villa's build-up was excellent. Begins kind of slide, slide all past her. Uh, Cash, Cash. I don't know if he looked up, but he doesn't have to. All he's got to do is put the ball across the box because Watkins will be there uh, to put it away. And yeah, for the season, he's going to get goals. It's just, can we not please, please when when he goes on a, <laughs> a run of three or four games where he doesn't score after going on a run of like four or five scoring? There's no need to kind of I don't know criticise him for not scoring in every game it's just it's not going to happen if he did that he'd be getting Haaland figures seriously there's like a clamour for the striker to score in every game and if he's not and if he's missed the chance especially it's oh well it's not good enough but come on it's um he's a top player and we're going places with him leading the attack as he yeah, has done for the last what, three or four years so and also the improvement under Unai Emery specifically. So he signed in September 2020 and scored 29 goals between then and when Emery joined in November 2022. Since then, he scored 21 goals. We always say that he's quite a streaky player. Uh, I don't know exactly what that comes down to um, or why, but his his streaks are getting longer, if you will, as you say, Dan. Um, how many games has Emery had in charge in terms of league games now? I think it's, what, 30. Two. We played seven this season, so, so. twenty-five yeah. last season under Emery, I believe. So thirty-two league games, and I forget how many goal contributions, but it was nearly thirty. I think remarkable, and that's not even like a full season, if you will, um, in terms of league games under Emery. Hmm. So yeah, he's a top player, and I'm delighted that he's back amongst the goals. In Emery's thirty-two games for Villa in the league. He's at sixty-four points, so two points a game. Two points a game. In- yeah. Pep Guardiola's first 32 games for Man City. <laughs> he also got 64 points. 
So, you know, we were talking about oh, where do we rank uh, Emery last week and oh, how many times did he beat in Deserby and the media darlings and blah, blah. Emery's a very good coach, everyone. Let's just keep flying yeah. under the radar because no one seems to realise it. It's a remarkable story how far Villa have come under Emery and not it's not something being played out in, in, the, in the wider media landscape as I think it would have been if it was a uh, another couple of clubs, even the, the top six plus Newcastle plus West Ham plus... Uh, Plus others, maybe even I'm not sure, yeah. but uh, yeah, it doesn't seem everyone, to be us. Everyone hates Villa. We don't care. Let's talk about Watkins and where he ranks in all-time Premier League goal scorers for Villa. Now, as we know, uh-huh. Gabriel Bonhoeffer is top of that list, isn't he? And has been for what feels like an eternity with 73 Premier League goals, which uh, I know to some people feels like a bit of an injustice because of the way his career ended that he kind of fell off basically and he was here for such a long time should probably have had more than 73 let's face it Gabby bashing, but he did fall off anyway uh, <laughs> in that list is Dwight York second with 60 Dion Dublin with 51 Juan Pablo Angel with 44 and Ollie Watkins now with 44 Watkins had 41 Benteke had 42 before the weekend. Obviously, his hat-trick boosts him up a place to joint fourth in that list. I don't really know what kind of point I want to make here. One is that if Watkins signs a contract and that is now the talking point around him, when is that going to be done? If he does and he's here for two or three years, I said on Saturday, he will be our our Premier League top goal scorer. He's, what, uh, 29 behind... Is it 29? Yeah. He's 29 behind Gabby as of today. If he's here for another three seasons, he will score 29 Premier League goals over the course of those three seasons and he will be our top scorer, which will be nice. I suppose the wider talking point here is that on that list of almost the top 10, you've got Carew, Jochim, Saunders, Gareth Barry, Benteke and the four names I've just read out before, Watkins. Whatever you think of Watkins and if you don't think he's good enough is, is one side of the argument which I personally don't agree with. But for him to be even where he is after the games he's had so far and that he could be you know, second on the list or first on the list depending on how long he stays. He's talking about like, you know, this, this need for a 20-goal striker or whatever the argument is and you need to improve on Watkins. Where he is on that list is already very good and he could obviously go on to be better than that. But the names I've read there, some of these are like 25, 30 years ago. Like, strikers like Carly Watkins don't come around very often is probably the point I'm trying to say. And so I think he probably deserves a little bit more respect. Precisely. I mean, I think the 20-goal striker thing was maybe something that Villa fans talk about because... I think that's probably what's needed in the championship. I don't know if that's a relevant point, but I don't remember many um, fans kind of saying, oh, we need a 20-goal striker in the Premier League, really, because I don't think anyone has done that in the Premier League for Villa, have they? Um, no, probably not. No. I don't think they have. I think that's the talking point. So uh, don't buy it anyway. If you're a good enough team, you don't need a 20-goal striker unless you go for the league. So we can do with Ollie Watkins getting 15 this season and we'll have enough goals in the team elsewhere. Douglas Suiza yeah. scored five for five home games in a row for the first time since I think Dwight York. Um yeah, ninety-six. And Louise is a midfielder. There's goals everywhere and that's that's the key thing here. It's not to look at Ollie Watkins and say, oh well, are you sc- are you going to score enough over the course of the season? Like firstly yes he is. And secondly, if he didn't, I think we'd have enough anyway. For the rest of the show, then, we're going to do a fan q and I asked questions on social media yesterday. Um, anything that you want to discuss, let us know. Now, I've not kind of vetted these before we started, so we're going to go through these in a pretty random order, John. Um, so some of them might be things we've already talked about, in which case we'll kind of gloss over them. Uh, we'll start with Jay, 
he says, how good was McGinn? I know Watkins gets man of the match, but McGinn was immense yesterday. I, I've, I said at the start of the season that when Villa win, and especially when they win well, McGinn's going to have at least an 8 out of 10. I don't think he dips below his standards very often, and if he does, he's still going to play to uh, a very decent level. Uh, and yeah, he was very good against Brighton, as was the rest of the team. I think it was like one of those where, to a man, Villa were just excellent. There was no weak link. And McGinn, for what he gives in terms of his powerful running, his um, the way that he drives the team forward, and there was a few niggly fouls in there that I noticed too. A few tactical fouls which might kind of go under the radar but um also quite evident as well when he did to them uh but needed against the brighton team who like to build up possession um and the longer they have the ball the more likely they are to make a chance because the opposition kind of just uh, they might lose runners etc so yeah for, for mcginn to play a key role defensively and defensively as emery likes um, that was key. He was asked about McGinn, the last question in the press conference, and he said, uh, yes, Super John McGinn again. Um, <laughs> so he's fully aware. And yeah, another top performance from, from him. Question from James, or comment more so really. Talk about Watkins' TNT Sports interview, particularly the final part of the interview regarding contract talk. Extremely awkward. They were, whoever the uh, presenter was, was basically lining up for maybe we can get an exclusive here on his contract by saying something like, oh, you've had a great day today, you got a hat-trick. The Villa fans now would love to know whether you're kind of any closer to signing this contract, which is, um, I don't know whether journalism is the right word, but it's a, it's a terrible question, a line of questioning for me to put him on the spot like that just after the end of the game in front of a, uh, the Villa Park crowd. I think some fans will look at that as, a, his, his answer was basically like, you know, I'll let my football do the talking and these things will happen when they happen or, or whatever, worse that effect. He didn't say anything, basically, but I don't expect him to. He's not going to come out and say, no, I'm not signing it. And he's also not going to say, yeah, I'm going to sign it, because if it's not done yet and there's things still to be finalised, it's a, a, a situation where there's moving parts. So bad questioning from TNT Sports, I would say, rather than Ollie Watkins was coy about it. I don't read anything into his answer at all, and I'd prefer um, players not to be asked questions like that when it's basically none of their business. I think there's probably a time and place for it. I think it's a relevant question because it's the question that's on everyone's lips. If fans want to know about it, you need to ask about it. But just after a game where he scored a hat-trick and he's not thinking straight necessarily, like he's got his adrenaline running, you don't want to kind of trip a player up, really. And I'm glad that Watkins kind of played it off, really, because if he said something that... Um, which you could have quite easily said something that was either emotional or whatever, I don't know. Then fans would take that as kind of, you know, gospel. There was there's a part where Emery was asked about in the game against Chelsea and he said that he's uh, concerned about it. Um, and then the next question was, what do you mean by concerned? You know, and then it's like, <laughs> oh, I, I just mean I'm, you know, he, what he meant was he's aware by it. So it's it's one of those where those questions can quite easily be. Um, That's know, quoted. Not, yeah, yeah, pretty much. And I'm just glad that Watkins said the right thing. But at the same time, coming from a journalistic point of view, I think that's question, that question's bound to be asked. It's what everyone wants to know. So um, I don't think there's anything wrong with asking it, but in the environment that he was in, probably not at that point. A question from Jar on Twitter. How on earth do we keep hold of Douglas Louise beyond this season? Champions League qualification? As in, do need to do that to keep him? Uh, the lack of Brazilian selection is also a concern. We know how much representation means to South American players. I personally feel like Pep Guardiola will be back for him, but at least we will be heavily compensated. What do you make of uh, Luiz's time at Villa in terms of can we keep hold of him? Uh, yes, I do, for a start. He's obviously signed a new deal recently. Um, that doesn't always mean that they're there to stay for 10 years. He loves mm. the club, he loves uh, the people at the club. 
and his position as well. He's improved immeasurably over the last year under Emery. In terms of the Brazil call-up, he was called up to the Brazilian team when Villa were scrapping relegation. So I'm, I'm not too sure that him moving to a different team would kind of increase mm. his chances. Uh, and uh, the Brazil national team call-up players from you know all over players from the Brazilian league, which is obviously weaker than um, European leagues or the top European leagues. I don't know exactly who's keeping him out. I presume it's Paqueta and uh, Guimaraes, but Luiz is playing at a level that puts him at least equal with those players and they are exceptional players. So it's very hard to get in the team. Um, but I don't think that would be a motive for him to leave Villa, uh, put it that way. I think yeah. the only motive he would have to depart would be if a top team comes in for him and they can give him Champions League football and also promise him game time. Because if you're looking around the league, there's certain clubs that, are, that he, I think he would get in for, but certain teams that he possibly wouldn't. I think Arsenal are playing a very different way this season, but Arteta is a massive fan of Louise. Obviously worked with him at City. Bid for him three times on deadline day last year. Yeah. yeah. After he scored a corner against Arsenal, like literally the day after they were bidding. So, um, yeah. There's no shortage of interest, but what you would say is that as long as there's no release clause in that deal that he signed with Villa, mm. there's a huge fee there. Um, for if that uh, if that deal was to come around, and that's the position Villa have put themselves in now. FFP is an issue for any team, and as we keep saying, that don't have Champions League football or you know huge revenue um, in terms of sponsorships that teams like Newcastle now have. So Villa need to bridge that gap somehow. Um, and I'm not saying that they're going to sell players to do that, but if it came to the point where Arsenal, for example, did come after Louise and they were putting down big money, well, then there's a positive in there as well for Villa. So it's one of those where, yes, we want to see Louise stay, absolutely, and he's crucial to what Emery wants to do and how Villa play. Um, but I don't think it would be a situation where if he was to leave, we'd be you know, crying about it, it would be on our terms, put it that way. It's going to be a big mm. fee, again, as long as there's no release clause, which, um, you know, I'm, I'm not sure if hopefully there isn't. Uh, but, yeah, we don't want him to go. But if it came to that eventuality, there'd be a huge uh, fee involved, I'm sure. A uh, question from Ricardo uh, says, no, it's a tad early, but which one position do you think Villa should or will target in the January transfer window? Uh, Matt actually said in the post-match show that we might need a couple of loans in, in January to kind of keep the squad depth up. Uh, where would you look look to? I think midfield. I'd look at. I'm not. I mean, obviously, Telemans is. Um, he hasn't quite hit, had the impact that he would have hoped for uh, after joining, and I don't think that's any kind of anything against his ability. I think it's just more is he is he capable of stepping into um, a midfield that doesn't have Douglas Louise in it? I'm not too sure. I think it's. I don't think he's. Um, he can progress the ball Telemans, but I think we need a bit more around him. And I don't think we have that when he does play. And that's not to suggest he doesn't have a career or anything. <laughs> he, he can still make an impact. I think you've just got to have specific players around him. I think you need to probably have something um, in place of Kamara. I know we have Dendonka, but I'm not sure he's as available as what uh, Emery would like, potentially, in terms of giving um, exactly what Kamara does. Maybe defence as well. I know that Longley's coming on loan and we have Tyrimings out, but Longley struggled against Legia uh, Chambers as well. Is he at the level uh, to kind of compete for minutes? And Emery said in America that 
he's not actually looking at Chambers as playing as a centre back. He's like a holding midfielder or a right back. So again, there's not much to kind of say about there. And I know Carlos is coming back. Um but you can need you need strength and depth as we've seen because as soon as Carlos drops out, then we're limited on I think quality centre back options in midfield as well. If Louise misses a game, then what do you do? Do you bring Telemans in? But then you do lose a lot in terms of what Louise brings. So it is, it is difficult to add to your squad. And I think Villa have found that out actually in the summer window. I think Zaniola has been a brilliant addition. Um, and as has Telemans in terms of it's a free transfer, it's like a very low risk. But I just think maybe is he exactly what we needed in midfield or is another option? But maybe there's something else that we need as well. I'm going to combine two points here in one. You just mentioned there about you know, what do we do if, if uh, Douglas Louise is out. And we mentioned at the top of the show that he is on four yellow cards now. The next question is from Mastro Lindo on Twitter, who says, what are our expectations for the next five games? So I'm going to inc- I'm just going to include this as Premier League games here because obviously we've got um, Zerinsky Mostar on Thursday. Yeah. The next five league games are Wolves away, West Ham at home, Luton at home, Nottingham Forest away, and Fulham at home, which looks on paper a very favourable run of fixtures for Villa to pick up some points. Mm-hmm. So it's a twofold question here, and I'm going to reword my Louise question to you in a different way. From a points perspective, how many points should we be looking at from those five games, three of which are at home? And when should Douglas Luiz get their tactical yellow card to miss the correct game? So I would be thinking cheeky tactical yellow card against West Ham and miss the Luton game at home in the Premier League. Very cynical way of looking at football. Firstly, but... Yeah. First on the first question, you go after all of the oh you go to try and win all those games. It probably won't happen, but that's the mentality you go with. Uh mm-hmm. And you see how much, how many wins you get. I'd be disappointed to lose any of those games. And I know that sets high standards. It's a good run. Um, yeah, try and win them all. Maybe we might draw two. We might draw against West Ham at home and Forest away or something. I don't know. But you got to try and win them all because those are all games that, again, if you take them in isolation, Villa should try and probably be winning to finish in the top six, top five, you know, etc. Uh, on the second question, yeah, obviously if there's a game to to pick, you'd pick Luton. Um, no disrespect, but they're the worst team in that uh, run. I think Wolves away is going to be very difficult. They've just yes. beat Manchester City and we are notoriously poor against them anyway. West Ham at home is a 4.30 kickoff on a Sunday on TV. Another tough game. Another tough game. Luton, you Who, look at on paper as being one of the yeah. easiest there. Forest away is n- never easy. Forest are good yeah. at home, or generally speaking, they can be good at home. Fulham at, at Villa Park, I'd expect us... Uh, any think, any game at Villa Park, I'd expect us to win now because we're so good there. I know I've just said that we need to go into every, every one of those games and try to win, which I stand by. But, as you say, Dan, Wolves away and, Wolves, uh, Wolves away and West Ham at home are two games that in previous years we, we don't win. So... Yeah, yeah. That would be another kind of tick in the Emery box of, you know, he's kind of broken all the records already, hasn't he? But those games where, um, I mean, we lost last year under Emery, didn't we? And at home we lost uh, to West Ham again uh, under Gerard. But those games where previously we haven't got anything and maybe because those teams have had, you know, our number, that sort of thing. If we can go there and get the right results, then fantastic. And yeah, Forest away won't be easy, but Actually, at the start of the season, I haven't been impressed by them at home, which, again, is, as you say, last year they were strong at home, but they just about beat Burnley. No, sorry, they drew to Burnley, hmm. which was lucky because I'm not sure the goal should have been ruled out at the end for Burnley. Um, they just about squeezed past Sheffield United, I think, in the last minute. Yeah, at home, they haven't been particularly good for us, I don't think. So, and I think we're that team now where 
we're good enough to just go to places and win as long as yeah, we yeah. play to our best and yeah. it's going to be very hard to beat us especially um but yeah hopefully good points all over that run and that will probably keep us in at least the top seven you would have thought let's talk about the european game very quickly some of the other questions are about like sustaining league form so we'll end on that instead um obviously villa are at home this thursday in their first european night at villa park uh besides the Hibs game for 13 years or so it's all of a sudden a big game now isn't it that You'd probably be looking at that that opposition as the easiest team in the group, and probably still are, despite them winning the first game against Alkmaar uh, at Villa Park. Especially, you've kind of got two factors there, haven't you? It's the easiest side, and you're at home, so you know on paper that should be a win for Villa. However, as you've alluded to, when Villa rotate beyond their strongest eleven, we haven't quite figured it out yet, and for whatever reason, it's either that the players coming in aren't kind of up to match speed and kind of don't get with it or aren't, aren't kind of at the level required to play the way Emery wants them to play. Um, the flip side of that is we can't just keep playing our strongest 11 because yeah, there's different priorities, isn't there? If you play your strongest 11 on Thursday, you might then suffer at Wolves on Sunday. And it's a game that Villa should win. And uh, I know I've kind of questioned rotation and whatnot, but with all due respect to Mostar, they're a team that Villa have to be beating at home. Um, yeah. I'm kind of to and fro because one part of me says we need to play strong team just to get the win but you are right Villa are going to have to rotate later in the season especially so maybe this is a game that builds confidence for certain players I don't know maybe Longley or maybe Tielemans but my question is that I don't know if certain players are actually capable of stepping into what Emery wants to do whether they're good players mm. or not you know, we might not actually see that because of maybe systems or certain tactics that Emery's trying to deploy, but can they do it? I'm not sure. So that's another question in itself. Uh, but against Mostar, there will be challenges and I expect us to win anyway. And I think it's probably one of those games where if we were drawing nil-nil, say on the 60th minute or 50th minute, then bring on Diaby Watkins, those guys that um, came on against Legia. And we probably should have won that game in the end, you know, even kind of all things considered at the very end, we were knocking on the door and we had big chances. Um, so yeah, I would make changes, try and build some confidence in those players because most of we should be beating anyway. Uh, and if you are in a sticky situation, say in the second half, you can bring on. Uh, firepower and still hopefully get the job done. But have we not learned our lesson that we should be doing the reverse of that and starting strong and changing but, it at half time instead? Yeah, my only thing with that is that my point about Everton was that you know you play a strong back line because you, you're playing a Premier League team still and a team that can still win the game if you're not your best. Hmm. But with all due respect to Mostar, you know I don't think there's an excuse there. We're playing, we're still playing players who play Champions League football in uh, Tielemans or Longley or. Uh, I'm not just picking on those two, by the way. Other players, yeah, they're the easy rotation picks, aren't they? Yeah, the Nogs played in quarterfinal of the Europa League with Wolves, and those players are still more than capable of beating Mostar at home. And there is no excuse there. And against Everton, I was shocked that we lost, but I wasn't wholly surprised because we made certain changes. Would you start Martinez or Olsen? Martinez. Agreed. What about with the in terms of rotation for fitness reasons? Is there a case that? because it's only this game and Wolves and then the international break that we don't need to rest anyway. Uh, no, I disagree because players are going to go to international break, aren't they? Villa rest, but although it's not going to be a whole squad, you're still going to have some players who are going to go. There's going to be changes, whether we agree with it or not. Duran will 
play. Uh, Zaniola will play. There can be no excuse to not win that game, whichever 11 you pick, in my opinion. Famous last words. Let's see where we are on Thursday night. Um, last couple of questions to end the show then. Actually, I've got, uh, I'm have got. i going to trial a new segment that I've not told you about, John, but we'll get to that in a, in a sec. Uh, the last couple of questions I'm going to combine as one because they all say the same point, really. So from Dr. AVFC, what do we think our goals are for the league? Top four, top six? Top three will probably be City, Arsenal and Liverpool in some order. Then you've probably got Spurs, Newcastle, Villa, Brighton in that second tier, possibly competing for the final places. Uh, Alberto Solano says, can we challenge for the title? Four points <laughs> on the top. And uh, John Smith, is our squad big and good enough for a sustainable top four challenge? Now, before we get into that, I spoke before, haven't we, about it being the top five for the Champions League, whatever specifications it needs to be for that to happen. I'm pretty sure probably will happen. Uh, so top five should be a Champions League spot. How do you assess all those questions? Are we good enough to compete? And what are our goals for the season? I think the final question was the key one in terms of do we have the squad to compete for the top five and go for the Conference League? Because we want to do both. And until we see that answer, I, it's, it's very difficult to say. I don't want to limit Villa too much. So that's why I'd say that I think our Premier League target should be top five because we've proven in the opening weeks that we can compete. I know we lost against Liverpool and Newcastle, but again, I think there's certain reasons why. I think you can forget about them to a certain extent. Yeah, I think especially Newcastle. Um, and this squad is improving a lot. I think goes under the radar as well, Pau Torres, about how much he's improved. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, We're not talking about him and that's the key thing. I just think come February, March, that's when it's going to get proper in terms of squad rotation, in terms of um, juggling the two competitions and Villa could be in eighth in that part of the season and then we'd be closing it down to, okay, well, can we get uh, can we get top seven and qualify for the Conference League again or maybe the Europa League uh, in case we don't win the Conference League? So mm. I think as long as Villa are knocking around the European positions towards the end of the season and they're in the latter stages of the Conference League and have a good chance of winning it, I'd snap your hands off for that, if I'm honest. I know Champions really? League is a dream, but I think we'd have to do so well to get the Champions League this season, judging by how well Tottenham are playing, um, Liverpool are better. Yeah, it's, it's going to be difficult. I'll come at it from two angles. One is that I've said already, I think Villa will compete for the Champions League places. Although in the end of the season show, we did, I said we would do it. Uh, I kind of adjusted that, didn't I, in the season preview, that we'd at least compete for it. You said top four as well. So yeah, but <laughs> well, top five is still allowed. So <laughs> I think Villa, I think that is also true. Villa are good enough to compete for it yeah. for the the bulk of the season. I'm not saying we definitely will, but we we should be. Yeah. We said this on Saturday. I think that um, last year Villa were always playing catch up, weren't they? This year, I want us to always be up around the top six, seven all season and be yeah. you know, moving around places week on week, depending on results. I don't ever want to be in a position where we, we drop down to 12th and have to make up ground and we're going, oh, I really hope Tottenham lose this week so we need to jump up uh, seven points on them. Like I want to always be like level pegging around those sides and it go go to the wire. I've said before that it's key for Villa to remain in Europe now. Now that we've got to it, I don't want it to be a, like a one-season fling. I want to be in at least the Conference League again next season as a bare minimum. To end the show, John, then, I want to in introduce a new segment, which is unnamed at this stage, so viewers of the show can name this part of the show, uh, if I try and explain it as best I can. It's a, a part where I just want to talk about something random. It could still be Villa-related, or it could be a wider football talking point. 
a bit like in the Inside Body More preview show that we do when we go like away from match day and we talk about, oh, the new kit's out or yeah. let's talk about this hospitality thing and it's away from the bulk of the conversation. So obviously today has all been about Brighton and league ambitions and whatnot. So this could be a, a segment about a Villa point or some silly thing you heard on match of the day or a wider footballing discussion. Something we've noticed this week that we want to speak about that's the segment. Uh, we need a better name than that, though. <laughs> I think I wanted to to bring up, just for a couple of minutes, because obviously this is a Villa podcast, is the Liverpool Spurs VAR controversy. I still can't get made around it. When I saw it live, I said, well, he's onside, so it's 1-0. Diaz, good goal. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm just not sure, like, what... <laughs> it's hard to say without being, like, in there. But, like, what... It's quite simple, really. What are they doing? What is happening at the... There's no, the there's no, there's no, I have no technical questions, which is the worst thing about it. It's just, what yeah. are you doing? I'm pretty certain all they've got to do is draw the line. Two of them, by the way, an assistant as well. What are you doing? The explanation that came out afterwards, obviously there's the apology from the, the PGMOL for the millionth time, what it feels like this season of, oh, we messed up guys, we're sorry. Well, that means absolutely nothing, does it, to, to anybody. <sighs> Liverpool have also released a statement saying they're going to look into exploring the options for what can be done about it. Now, don't know what they mean by that, whether they want to replay or, or whatever, <laughs> uh, which which seems unlikely. But even just opening the conversation to something needs to be done about the top level of officiating, that the explanation that apparently was given is that they, the VAR people, thought that it had been ruled onside on the pitch. So when they said check complete to them, they thought, well, he's given it onside, so check complete, we don't need to look at it. Whereas the referee had actually given it his offside at the time. And then they realised they'd made a mistake. At the moment in which, sorry, at the moment in which the referees ruled it out, then just say, oh, sorry, mate, got that wrong. Yeah, it's off because, they, because they kicked off Why? again, they can't intervene again. Which well, is you can, though. <laughs> like, they're talking as if, it's, as if they are powerless. Like, maybe it's a rule, maybe it isn't, but no one's going to complain. Like, not even the Tottenham fans would have complained <laughs> if no. they went back, even 10 minutes, like, maybe not 10 minutes. Just make the right decision. That's all we're asking there's, for. There's a clip as the game kicks off and there's a, the first break and play, one of the sides is, is taking a throw in and it cuts back to the referee and you can see him, he's been spoken to because <laughs> you can just tell like, he looks zoned out and then for a split second, he like, nods his head and goes to blow the whistle and puts it down. So he was told in that moment, you've messed up, mate, or oh. we've messed up. At that point, you can go, blow your whistle, go over to the managers and say, look, we made a mistake here. I know we've kicked off again and we've played two or three minutes, but I don't they know how you... offside. It was onside. We need to just go back 1-0, start from there. How do you get to that message? Like, everyone's watching the game. Everyone knows exactly what's happened. Right, it's, it's been called and off. They know what's happened, but for some reason, they can't, they can't they're carry on. The, they're the two people, the assistant VR and the VR, who should be most focused on the game or whatever however yeah. you want to call it not the people who are just watching it with a beer it's been criticised because it's not obviously the first time that VAR's come under scrutiny and it won't be the last mm. I have no idea how what this I know I get the whole thing is well if you criticise it you must have a solution it's not my job to have a solution I don't know what's available to the Premier yeah. League I know that Premier League clubs in fact like overall um, rejected the chance to have the kind of the World Cup um, the automated yeah. yeah I don't know why um, that seemed to be quite useful in the world cup uh yeah it's the whole thing's just a bit of a shambles but to have human error on that level i think is i I just don't know how that happens i know you can get human error from uh you know other minor things but that was quite 
that was more than significant. That was just crazy. Just something I wanted to bring up, uh, a general wider talking point. As I said, this segment of the show could have been a, a five-minute chat about something Villa-related that we didn't uh, get to in the rest of the show. So if you want to rename that segment from here's something I saw this week and wanted to talk about, uh, please get involved in the comments down below. John, thanks for joining me. As always, every Monday so far this season, we've uploaded a podcast. So you know every single week we'll be here to chat about the latest Aston Villa talking points. Consider subscribing to Clarton Blue on YouTube if you enjoyed this. Leave us five-star ratings on uh, Spotify. If it's less than five stars, don't bother. Thank you for watching this one, and we'll see you again very soon.